Good morning. It's a great day today. God is an awesome God. I have an update from the ministry team. Dear congregation, it's been very difficult for all of us to be apart these last few months. We have really missed all of you, and we on the ministry team are excited about getting back together again. The board has done a great job of setting the vision and guidelines for us as we come back together. It's going to be a bit of a challenge since we all have different comfort levels with social distancing. I want to encourage all of us to not only think of our own interest, but also the interest of others. We have an opportunity to show each other love, not only in our words, but also in our actions. The world will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. We are working hard on figuring out plans for how we can reassemble, reassemble in ways that are honoring to Christ and to each other. Thank you for your prayers, your input, and your patience during this process. We know it hasn't been easy for any of you, and it hasn't been easy for us either. We know that the Holy Spirit has great plans for us and we are looking forward to following the Spirit's guidance in a new way as we get back together. We will have more information coming soon from the ministry team. Dear Jesus, we come before you. We pray, Lord, that your peace would continue to reign in this nation and in the world. We admit that we are broken and we have um, not 
We do not live in the fullness of how you desire us to live, but I pray, Lord, that you would give mom and dad, Jeff and Kendra Nisley, the, the, the ability to speak clearly what, what you have them to speak. And I pray Lord, that each um, person listening, their eyes and their ears and their hearts would be open um, to what you're saying to them. I pray, Lord, that you would guide our leaders and each of us as we continue to um, discern what this time looks like for all of us. But I pray, Lord, for peace and clarity and for um, you, you and your voice yes. and your desire for each of us. Um, to come through. We know that, that you love each of us and you desire to be with us. And throughout the Bible, your story of love for us is shown so clearly. And I pray, Lord, mm. that you will continue uh, to claim that truth, that we are walking in your promise and we are walking in your love and that your story is not over yet. Mm. And so I pray, Lord, for mom and dad to have a clear voice um, and that you would give them peace. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, this morning, Kendra and I were asked by Conrad to share a little bit of our testimony, and also we plan to lay a little bit of a groundwork, just kind of re-emphasizing uh, some of what Conrad has been bringing to our attention about the uniqueness of the time we're living in, and maybe some of the changes that God is sort of trying to clue the church into. So, um, first off, we're living in interesting times, aren't we? Have you heard anyone say that before? We're living in interesting times. These are interesting times. And yet, on the other hand, it's not all that unusual. There have been plenty of interesting times since creation, across cultures and across people and across time. Um, so I want to think a little bit about this concept of times and seasons that we live in before we share the rest of what we have planned. Most of us are familiar with uh, Solomon's expose on time and seasons, and Kendra and I will recite that coming from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There's a time for everything. And a season for, for every, every activity, activity under, under heaven. heaven. A time to be born. And a time to die. A time to plant. And a time to uproot. A time to kill. And a time to heal. A time to tear down. And a time to build. A time to weep. And a time to laugh. A time to mourn. And a time to dance. A time to scatter stones. And a time to gather them. A time to embrace. And a time to refrain. A time to search. And a time to give up. A time to keep. And a time to throw away. A time to tear. And a time to mend. A time to be silent. And a time to speak. A time to love. And a time to hate. A time for war. And a time for peace. The point we're trying to make here is that there are different seasons and times that we live in, and knowing the season that we're in determines how we're going to respond. Anyone here who's planted a garden or who has done anything with agriculture, knows you have to follow the seasons to be successful. Ignore them, and we won't accomplish our goals. If you plant corn in the fall, it's going to die over the winter. If you plant corn in the summer, it's not going to have enough time to grow to produce a harvest. If you plant time corn in the spring, that's the time to plant corn. And given the right weather conditions, it will produce a harvest in the fall. Uh, so let's think about a, a couple other, uh, a few times and seasons throughout history. 
There was a time of creation when history as we know it started. There was a time in the garden when we walked in God's intended plan for humankind. The time of the fall and after the fall and the consequences that followed. The time of the flood, which was a global reset on humankind. The time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The time of slavery and deliverance, of wandering. Then there was a time of the judges, and then it was switched to the time of the kings. There was a time of disobedience and exile, and then the return. And then the turning point in all of history, when God intervened in the human story by sending Jesus to walk with us and provide a ransom for the mess we had made, there was a time of Jesus. And then the time of the apostles, when humans were taking the message about Jesus as far and wide as they could. There was that following the time of persecution of the followers of Jesus. And then the time of Constantine, when Christianity became the religion of the day. Eventually came the time of the Reformation, when the church realized it was doing the government's bidding rather than God's. And there were a whole bunch of other times. Broad senses of time is you know, the modern age and the postmodern age, which I think we're in now. Um, and now we're here we are today. Conrad and Heidi have been calling our attention to the fact that we're living in a unique time. God's trying to say something to us, and we want to reinforce that. God has been working with his people, and it hasn't always been the same. His followers have to adjust. I'm not suggesting that God changes per se, but I see evidence that he works with his people in different ways over time. Most obviously, of course, when Jesus came into the world, but even in less obvious ways as well. Let me bring a few scriptures to mind yet that further support this idea that we may be living in unique times and seasons, and it's important that we pay attention to the time we're living in. The first one is an obscure scripture that may be familiar to some, but again, it's very obscure. It's found in 1, Corinthians, sorry, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. And this is, like I said, it's a bit of an obscure scripture in the middle of a list of essentially a census of David's men who were surrounding him and supporting him to help to turn Saul's kingdom over to David. And in this list of households and people that had gathered around David, uh, Scripture says there were, the men of, uh, there were the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should, should do. I wish there was more detail in this story, in this passage. I wish that there were some examples of why the men of Issachar came to be known and recorded this way as as men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Another example of Scripture acknowledging the value of being in tune with the current times is Esther 1.13. And it reads, Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times. And again, here's an example of a king speaking to people who understood the times they were in. And again in Esther, a more familiar passage, Esther 4.14, we have Mordecai's exhortation to Esther. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. We've heard that before, for such a time as this. It's an encouraging and, and calling scripture that always challenges us to be like, what time am I living in? How is God wanting me to rise to the call He has in my life? Some other examples um, of times and seasons. Mark 1.15. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. And that word time in that case is, is the word kairos, which I'll get back to in a, in a little bit. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And then there's another uh, 
some passages that refer to time. John 2.4 says, Jesus said, my time has not yet come. And in John 17.1, the time has come. This is interestingly enough another Greek word, aura, which refers to like a literal hour. I didn't do a lot of study on that one. Um, and then one of the saddest and most pertinent examples of the people of God not realizing the times they were living in were the Pharisees. Jesus didn't fit what they were expecting and what they were hoping for. He called out the fact that they were honoring God on the outside, but not on the inside. They missed the mark. They missed the point. Uh, and they missed the times they were living in. Their entire lives yearned for the day the Messiah would come. Yet he was right in front of their noses and they missed it. They killed him, their Messiah. The very thing they were waiting for and living for and studying for. They were off mission, focused on the wrong things. Their traditions eclipsed uh, the mission of God. Of all the people who missed the times they were living in, uh, it was the Pharisees. And, I, and I, I want to just take a moment to pray here just for all of us because I think this is a very pertinent, um, it's a challenge to me um, that the people of God missed the times they were living in. So God, I pray for each of us as we mm-hmm. continue to contemplate what this means um, and as Conrad and how you continue to exhort us uh, to pay attention to what God's trying to reset and what part of the church he's wanting to change and adjust. I pray our ears and eyes would be open and that we would not be like the Pharisees who, to the, in the best of their intentions, they completely missed you. They were still living for themselves. Mm-hmm. And God, I, we confess, and I confess, that there are these pieces in me that I want to live my life the way I want to live it, and I don't want you to interrupt it. And I want traditions that keep me safe. And so, God, I pray you would be helping us as a church uh, to push past some of these mm-hmm. barriers and to push through our flesh that, that keeps us from uh, trusting you and wanting to move forward with what you have for us. Um. And one last term, which I hesitate to use, one last example of seasons and times is a, is a secular term. Um, I think it often has a foreboding or a fatalistic uh, connotation to it, but it's the term zeitgeist. And I don't know if anyone's heard that before, but it's, it's a German word, which the definition of the word is it's a defining mood or spirit of a particular time period of history as shown by the ideals, ideas and beliefs of that time. It's a German word that literally means spirit of the age. It's not a Christian term. Maybe it might even be quite the opposite. Uh, but I say it to show that even secular culture, even secular mm-hmm. culture recognizes that there's seasons and times that are unique. Um, so the ancient Greeks had at least two words for time, and I'm taking this from Wikipedia. There's chronos and kairos. Uh, in my studies, I also found that word aura. But referring to chronos and kairos, kairos is an ancient Greek word meaning the right, critical, or opportune time. There's also chronos, which refers to time in a chronological or sequential way, more of a generic uh, form of time. Some examples of kairos would be uh, particularly Mark 1.15 that I read. The time has come. The time has come. The specific, the critical, the opportune time has come. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Also in Mark 13.33, Jesus said, be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when that time, that opportune time will come. So be alert, be ready. Chronos um, in scripture has been used, the references I found were used to refer to, say, a long time. So today we're going to be focusing on this idea of Kairos time. Should I write it down? Yeah, if you want to write the word Kairos up there just so we have a visual on it. All right. So hopefully this is making sense. 
um, I'm trying to paint a picture that we are in a unique time of history. And I'm trying to reinforce the fact that Conrad has already called us to this. As a people of God, we need to be dialed in to what God is saying. Conrad, as I said, recognizes this as a unique time in history, a Kairos moment, a time to be listening and a time to be opening our eyes. Conrad and Heidi, we appreciate your bold, wholehearted, spirit-filled, and sacrificial leadership that you've modeled for the church. We've been appreciative of the way in which you've deprofessionalized church leadership. That's why we're up here. And the way in which you're working to turn the church structure from a consumer mindset mm -hmm. to a participatory mission we're on. And I think we're probably in the, in the middle of that transition or starting that transition now. And to the rest of the leadership, we affirm your patience and your yes. support for Conrad and the sense that he has, uh, that we sense you're giving him. We sense you're supporting him and being patient with the process. So we really want to affirm that. Conrad has been putting out some podcasts. I don't know how many of you have been listening to the podcast, uh, a, church, a Church Dismantled. But it's, he's been sharing some very radical, transformational material for the church today. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage you to listen. I'm only like about a, listened to about a quarter of them at this point. But Kendra has some comments on, on one, of, one of his podcasts. They're very easy to listen to, too. All you need is internet and a smartphone or a tablet, and you can look it up, and it's like a five or eight minute sermonette, which is, it's, it's not hard to listen to. And you can listen to them, there's like 40 of them or 50 of them, you can listen to them one at a time, one today, one tomorrow, it's just it's very, very palpable. Yes, and Pastor Conrad is setting the prophetic voice of the church, and I want to affirm the leadership team here at Etel Mennonite for coming alongside and, and, and listening and waiting on the Lord. So thank you, Paul and Kate are here, many others are watching from home, so thank you. Conrad has a clear prophetic voice from the church, and interestingly enough, as we were doing research, even his, his uh, book, Road Signs for the Journey, a profile of Mennonite Church USA, 13 years ago, published in 2007, still resonate the same themes that God's laying on his heart. So God is up to something. The podcast that I listened to recently, <clears throat> excuse me, that spoke uh, so clear, I'll just read a snippet, a pastor's confession, why I don't want to go back to church. He says, somewhere along the line, folks, if we are going to be truly Christian, we must begin to have more honesty and authenticity and transparency. Because I can tell you that our children are growing up and seeing right through us, and many of them are opting out of the church precisely because they don't experience us being honest. So while my kids are smiling in the front row up here, they know all my weaknesses. Jeff and I are going to share. It's less of an expository sermon this morning, everyone. Jeff and I are going to share our hearts and our testimony in our walk with Jesus and even a, a community that's a little different than the traditional church. We're actually going to invite the kids up. Yes, we're going to invite the kids up to share a little bit of, of what they experienced in a setting that's not quite what the traditional church looks like. So really hear us out. This is not a professional, polished sermon. This is a testimony. This is a teaching about what God's been doing in our hearts. And I'm so excited um, to be here with you all today. So that being said, before we share our testimony, can I give a backdrop? Sure. Okay. I'm going to give a backdrop on our faith, our, on our Anabaptist faith. And where's that little pamphlet? I guess we left it. So... Taking from the, um, I think we left that pamphlet at home. I have too many resources. Okay. That's okay. 
So as Anabaptists, I think it's really clear, I'm, I'm on a soapbox, but I think it's really clear that we communicate with our kids the values we stand for and the, the way we interpret scripture in the life of Jesus. So as Anabaptists, we hold to three main tenets. Jesus is the center of our faith, community is the center of our life, and reconciliation is the center of our work. So for the purposes today, Jeff and I are going to uh, focus a little bit more on community being the center of our life and looking at how Jesus did community. So um, how did Jesus do community in church? How did Jesus do intentional uh, discipleship? I really believe that the Anabaptist faith tradition has a sweet flavor of Jesus to add to the body of Christ. And I'm not saying it's superior, I'm not saying it's better, but I really think we must be in tune to what our ancestors have, how they've interpreted the faith and how we interpret the faith as Anabaptist Christ followers. I think, I think it's super exciting. We see Jesus' life, listen folks, because we interpret scripture. We don't interpret this as a flat Bible. We interpret the scripture through the lens of the life of Jesus. And we interpret, we, 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 guide, we, we try to order our life after the life of Jesus. So I believe through study also on this book that Jesus ordered his life as a family on mission. Family on mission, integrating discipleship into the fabric of our everyday lives through Mike and Sally Breen. I'm pulling heavily on this book for the next, the next section of teaching and sharing our hearts. So Jesus modeled family on mission. There's a Greek word called oikos, O-I-K-O-S. And this Greek word has three main concepts, family, the family's property, and the home or the house. So as the, the center for mission, Jesus models it not only as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a work of family on mission through the Trinity, but also as Jesus was baptized, who called down from heaven, Matthew, uh, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And then as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Son of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I am well pleased. With him I am well pleased. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Excuse me, I read it wrong the first time. So there is an example of, of Jesus on mission. And I feel really blessed with extended family Jesus didn't really have extended family protecting him. In fact, he went to his hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up. Jesus, this is from Luke 4, 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up and read the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what did his hometown do? What did his hometown do? All the people in the synagogue, as the, as the passage continues, were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and on his way. I'm kind of mad at Jesus' immediate nuclear family for not protecting him. I think that's unjust, but that's another conversation. 
Jesus formed an extended family. He called, he said, come follow me to the disciples. Come follow me. Family on mission, God's methodology is, it, family on mission is God's methodology for saving the world. So the idea of oikos or extended family, walking together with people, eating together, doing everyday life with people, it's not for families only, like a mom and a dad and kids. It's for the singles. It's for the empty nesters. It's for the children and the married. It's for everybody. So our heart is to, to know that family on mission is not a program. It's not an event. It's not a church emphasis. It's a worldview. It's how we see the world, folks. And we're not perfect. We're not here because we have the answers. And our kids are chuckling at us because we don't have it all figured out. And we fail time and time again. But I'm convinced that until we see the world through, through the set of the lenses like Jesus did, we're not going to accomplish the purposes God has for us. The, the worldview of family on mission is a way to just live life and to organize your day and organize your world. It, it gives a sense of fulfillment and purpose as we accomplish what God has called us to. The world is looking for community. The world is looking for this oikos, this family, this extended family concept. So, confession. We don't have a TV in our home. And you might say we live under a rock, but there are other ways to educate oneself other than television, right? Right. So, I asked my girls, so sometimes we can look at culture, I can listen to songs on the radio, to see what's going on, what's happening in our culture. What are people crying out for? What are they talking about? And I said to my girls, because they're teenagers and they're a little bit more exposed to modern culture than I, and they said, uh, Mom, I know I'm embarrassing you, just bear with me. They said, Mom, it's Friends, the, the TV show Friends. I said, are you kidding? That's a show that was most popular when I was like much younger, like 25 years ago. And they said, no, I think it is. I said, well, that's not true. I researched it. Friends was the second most streamed show on Netflix in 2018. And you know what it's about? I don't know, I don't watch it. And I don't promote the values on it because I don't think they completely agree with God's perfect design for relationships. But it's about six individuals from broken homes and pasts. And the show actually like has them bonding together in a nuclear family. It's created a nuclear family out of the rubble of the broken down, excuse me, it's created an extended family out of the broken down nuclear family. They have an oikos, they have an extended family. And it's so popular, like in China, they're like saying you can get your hair cut, like the actors and actresses, and Legos is selling a set, the best-selling Lego set for 60 bucks, something like a coffee shop that this friend's thing uses. Okay, I won't go too far, but it's, it's, it's why this world is looking for a place to belong. It's looking for an extended family. The world around us, and I'm convinced the generations after us, are looking for authenticity. What is God saying to you? What are you doing about it? Who is this God? Is he real? How do you experience him in your life? Does he show up when you need him to? Does he speak to you when you ask? And they're asking the hard questions. Okay, sorry. Are you guys angry for change? No. You ready for me to? Yeah. So uh, Conrad asked us to share about our experiences with Christian community a little bit outside of the church building. And we're going to share our testimony. That's what it is. This is not necessarily a model of how everybody should do it or that we've done it right or that we're even proud of everything we've done. But we're going to share a testimony of what, what we've been doing. Um, and it's because I was pretending. So when my kids were much younger, even now, it's sometimes challenging, but they're a little older. 
But when my kids, especially when my kids were younger, I knew that Sunday morning was a necessity in our lives. So I would frantically rush around, try to get all the kids dressed and all their noses wiped and all their bibs cleaned and all their shoes on. And as we were going in, in the church, in the car to church, I would often be very frustrated at my kids yelling at them. I'd be upset with Jeff. Why didn't you help me more? What was wrong with the cows? Why can't you come down sooner? And so this whole time, this whole way to church, I was fussing and bickering at my family, and we would enter the door of the church, and then, oh, hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? We don't do that anymore, though. So as you can tell, <laughs> excuse me, we don't really do that anymore very much. So I got tired of pretending, and and to Kate and the other beautiful young moms in our, in our fellowship here, my hat's off to you. I know, and some of you have more children than I. Um, I know how difficult it is. My hat's off to you when you get your family alive here in the pews. And I respect, how, and, the, and the dads. The dads play an important role. Some dads actually come with their children when their wives are working. I affirm that. So my hat's off to you. I'm not throwing stones or casting blame. I'm saying I know how difficult it is. And I was living a lie, and I got to the point in my life, and I said, I am done going into church and being okay because I'm not really okay. So somewhere around that time, about 10 years ago, while attending the church that I grew up in and where we were attending since we were married, uh, the leadership began to explore this idea of missional communities, which was a term they were using, uh, which is small groups of people on a specified mission. Somehow in the midst of that, we started what we call now Family Live. It's a group of several families, and our mission is, our specified mission is strengthening families through authentic community in a relaxed atmosphere. And I think that's probably about all we've accomplished over the last 10 years, <laughs> but I think we have accomplished that much. We receive training and equipping through the Flourish Network which um, is given oversight from the Landisville Manor District of LMC, formerly Lancaster Mennonite Conference. And the mission of Flourish is to, we exist to birth, resource, and multiply clusters of Christ followers where we live, work, and play. Large, um, large trainings have been done in the past, but really this, this resourcing and equipping clusters of Christ followers, really Flourish has really tried to equip the practitioners, those who have communities in their home or who on on journeys with others. Um, you can, so for us, Family Live consists of? Like three or four core families. While the, the schedule is somewhat fluid, traditionally we've tried to meet about every other Sunday for a late brunch. We make the same food. My family always brings quiche, and another family always brings baked oatmeal, another family fruit, just the same food. We, um, and sometimes, by the way, when I'm not home in time, they come to my house and they clean my kitchen up because it's a disaster. And then we can eat together. So we sometimes do our Sundays, like one Sunday is casual connection. For a time, we had a neighbor couple that wasn't really comfortable with faith conversations. So we tried to create a casual connection, like how is life going for you? What's up? And then the next Sunday, maybe a prayer and share with those that are a little bit more comfortable and, that, and, and, and sharing of what God is, is saying to them reading scripture together, singing some songs together. We have real conversations on money and sex and politics and faith. Our family has actually, our family live group has actually been through some pretty intense trauma. We've experienced divorce and the death of a beloved brother. And we're still living in that reality and we're still walking through that and with those involved in, in those things. And it's not easy. 
I'll be really honest. We've done service projects, helping a neighbor cut a tree down. We camp together, play kickball with the kids. Um, do you want me to say anything about life shapes? So, no? So one of the strengths of our group, which I alluded to that when I said our mission, is it has been for I, most of us in the group, if not all of us, a place to truly be authentic and real. We, we don't hide nearly as much of ourselves as we might if we come to church on Sunday morning. We share that we were frustrated with each other in the morning before we got ourselves together. It's just a, pla it's a place that is really refreshing for Kendra and I. And kind of unexpectedly, have, we've become very close friends with people that otherwise we probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have entered our circles. Um, I, in particular, have found close friendship with some of the other guys that I normally probably wouldn't have even chose to hang out with them. Yeah. So it's been very meaningful. If I'm mad at Jeff and explain the situation, they very quickly say, Kendra, you're a moron. Get over it. Or they tell Jeff, you're a moron. Work on this. And so there, there's a very real um, way to engage our conflict and our, our disagreements, too, in that. And we also have, this is where you might want to zoom up. Landon's doing a great job with the technology. This, we, they, we also have simple tools. These are one of many tools that we have used, not extensively, but um, there's a tool like the, the half circle. So work and rest. These are just simple tools to create a language in our groups that's not complicated, or it's not a Bible study. It's a, the life of Jesus model, work and rest. So then I would say this is um, abiding. There's another word for this is abiding. Another word for this is fruitful. This is a very loose, quick um, illustration. So then I would say, hey, Jeff, how are you doing with your, how, how did you do with your work and rest this week? Or were you balanced or did you work too hard? And then what would you say? I would discuss where I felt like I fell in the continuum. And you don't want to do that now. It's I, didn't, okay. I didn't think about it at the time. <laughs> okay, so just simple shapes. There's another one that's a triangle. Can you see this okay, Landon? It's not that. Okay, that's a terrible triangle. But <laughs> I am not an artist. I have artists in my family. My children have a gift from the Lord, some of them, for artistic ability. I do not. So this is up. In, out. So this is another life shape. And these are, just, these are just things that we bring that we can. We haven't done a super good job at it in our family life, but you can bring. How is your relationship with people in the body of Christ or your family going? That's the in. The out. How is your relationship with those around you going? Your neighbor. Your babysitter who you really don't like. How is that, how's that relationship going? How about up? How's your relationship with the Lord? Have you cultivated time with Jesus today? And this is just like a mini example of some of the, the conversations we, can, we have that's easily transferable and, and multipliable. Is that a word? Multi replicable. Replicable to other groups or other situations where we can seek to follow the life of Jesus and just boil down the, the, the speech so that it's, easy for everybody to understand. It's a language and a culture of invitation, easily reproducible. There's a theme of high accountability and low control. So Flourish has used those words, high accountability. We're going to keep you accountable what you're, to what you're doing. We're not going to tell you how to do it. We're going to give you tools to help you in disciple making in authentic communities. There are not only missional communities, but huddles, which are the leaders of missional communities gathering for encouragement and training. 
There are D groups, discipleship groups, who are smaller, like three or five. Jeff's leading a, a discipleship group right now, one-on-one mentoring. Anyway, it may, it's not the answer for everything, but we believe this framework has provided a platform for spiritual growth in our lives and growing in our, our walk of intimacy with Jesus and others. It's given us a safe place to invite friends. They want to come to our kitchen table. They don't really want to as much sit in um, a pew, sort of, or sometimes not. Um, we have language and a, a model of discipleship in an authentic community. And we're going to have the kids share shortly, so get ready. I already showed that. You already showed that? Yeah. Okay. Then the children, those who want to, are just going to share a snippet of their hearts, what they've experienced in our missional community family life, because we are actually up to 17 kids at a time with about six adults, uh, eight adults. So we have a, a robust, young, thriving. Girls, come on up, honey. Boys, do you want to say anything? No. no? Okay. So, Scotty, if you have this or this mic on. So we asked our children on the way to church this morning, uh, what family life has meant to them and what, what things maybe would be pertinent or beneficial for them to share. So yeah. when they shared their first thoughts, I was like, oh, I like that. If that's on the tip of your tongue. I think it's worth sharing this morning. So here they go. Okay, so when, when we learned that mom and dad were going to be sharing about this today, I talked to one of the girls that I hang out with in that missional community, and I said, hey, this is pretty much like a form of church. And we looked at each other and we're like, what? This is church? It didn't feel like it to us because our conversations are beyond what you normally talk about at church and maybe they wouldn't even be like church appropriate. But like we learned so much and I feel like I've grown so much by talking with her and all of them and I've become a stronger person. I've seen them grow and we can yeah engage on a different level than sometimes I feel like at church. And like basing off of what Abby said, this community like allows me to be real and Oh yeah. So the community, like, we don't want it to become like another system. Like this community, like it's like a bunch of people in one spot. We're all broken. We're all real. And if it becomes another system, it just becomes like churches now. And it doesn't allow that authenticity and the ability to share with others and be real. Hi, I'm Mika. Um, what I enjoy about Family Live is I like seeing friends and I like to catch up with each other. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. We're, right, we're running low on time. Okay, so we share this not because, again, like I said before, not because we think we have it all together or because we're perfect in any ways. In fact, much of the reason you haven't heard about this before is because I'm a little bashful about making myself look better than I am or making people think, oh, Jeff and Kendra are doing this great thing on the side or something. That's not the way it is. We're giving our best and we're experimenting and, and trying to be faithful with what God's put in our hands. And it's not necessarily <clears throat> going to look the same for other people. The missional community, just to clarify, is not a Bible study. It's not a small group. It's, it's designed, the big dream is for actually multiplication. Just you, doing what you do in your small group and someone from that group taking it back to their home and, and someone from that group taking it back to their home community. An easily replicable, multipliable, I don't know that word is right. A easy re replicable, easily multiplied model. And we've not done a good job multiplying in our group. 
And yet, I think this kind of model could give a framework as an incubation pot for encouraging others to step out and start authentic communities. My prayer for sharing this morning also is that we're not in any way sharing something that brings condemnation no. or judgment. We're hoping more to inspire hope and excitement uh, for those who may be looking for more or sensing that there's something different. And this is also one of those things, historically, when I've been asked to share like this, I always like to sort of make sure what I'm preaching, if you will, I'm also practicing. And this is something that even part of what we're sharing today is, is calling us forward. It's a little bit beyond, it, it's a challenge to us to continue to implement what we believe God's calling us to. So so as we wrap up, is this our wrap-up time? I think so. As we wrap up, um, I'd like to just quote Pastor Conrad's book from 13 years ago. Faith journeying toward the reign of God means addressing the disruption we feel and the chaos we fear, and it means overcoming our tendencies to default to our previous understanding of the church under Christendom. He's really encouraging us to seek the power of the Spirit, and, and this, this is a prophet's voice over a decade ago, and I, I believe Pastor Conrad's been anointed in this time to continue that prophecy. More recently, two weeks ago, uh, Bev Kreider has given immense leadership and birthing and training in the Flourish Network, the vision setting. She says, personally, I'm bewildered as to why, and I got her permission for this, Personally, I'm bewildered as to why churches are using this time to tread water. Keep feeding YouTube services to the flock. What an awesome time to encourage hospitality in the places where we live and play and work. And begin to work toward microchurches, or in our words, missional communities. I hear pastors weary of keeping the videos going, yet so grateful not to have all the duties of Sunday church trying to hold on during this time. I'm also baffled how this is such a novel thought that we don't have to meet every week as one large group, be fed by one provider up front in order to be the church. Us Anabaptists of all people, and us Anabaptists of all people, meaning in our past, we've met in, in small clusters of community. Pastor Yamada, is God calling us to these roots again? Pastor Yamada from Japan studied 62 doctoral dissertations on Anabaptist beginnings. And recognizing these small clusters of people had powerful witness in their communities. And he says the uniqueness of both the early church, this is Acts 2, and the early Anabaptists was that they met in small groups where they confronted each other and made each other strong enough to confront the world. And I didn't even read Acts 2, and I wanted to, about the devotion of the apostles' teaching to fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. They were filled with all. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we go, go ahead. Do you have something to say? So I'm concerned. It's time for us to wrap up. But if we move to different models of worshiping and community, it's hard to count our bills and our bottoms and our baptisms. It's hard to quantify the success of the church. It's hard to count the offering every Sunday. It's hard to count how many bottoms are sitting in all of our chairs or our pews. It's hard to um, sometimes count the number of baptisms. What does it mean to count disciple-making? How do you count the circumcision of our hearts? as we're molded into the likeness of Christ. Is there a, an algorithm 
for counting these things. I, I think there is a whole generation looking for authenticity and real community. And what is God saying to me? What is God saying to us? What are we doing about it? I'm on my own journey and circumcision of my heart with a Christ-centered therapist and trusted friends. I feel like God is doing a huge work in my heart. And I propose... Uh, do you want to talk before I finish? No, before I, I propose, let's not give up meeting together. But what if? Here are your questions of what ifs. What if we met only once or twice a month as a corporate body to celebrate what God's doing in our smaller groups? What if we used all that energy that we devote to programs every week and invite our neighbors to our table to get coffee with a friend who's asking real-life questions, to gather with others wanting to share what's on their hearts? This is not a guilt trip, friends. This is not one more thing to do in life. This is, this is asking where are we to be among God's mission in the world. And what if the established church, as we know it, gave resourcing, equipping, and support to clusters of communities meeting in our homes or in parks or in other centers? I don't want what, I, what I'm saying to sound as heresy, but these, this is what is on our hearts. This is what's on my heart. You share that, baby? Yeah, we share that. Yes, we share that. So I have, and you can zoom in on this, Landon, if you don't mind, as we finish. Like, I have this, this, this like, I think actually to give credit to Bruce Kreider, he actually brought a real live one of these things in. Can you see that spider plant? Can you see that okay? So what if, like this spider plant, this is what I'm picturing. Like what if the established church gave resourcing and equipping and, and, and educating and, and, and support to all these little spider plants? See those independent little spider plants that are, have their lifeline to, this, to the main one, but they're on their little own? As you see this, the spider plant itself doesn't look complete without its little plants, and the little plants can't hang on to anything without the big one. And there's just a little imagery. There are many more that could probably follow, but there's just a little imagery of a growth of an established item or established thing giving life and, and resourcing to the smaller transplants, which hopefully in turn will grow bigger and give life to more. And I think that's such a beautiful example of, of what could happen. Could I, could I call up Bethany and say, hey, Bethany, we have 17 kids in our, my house today and I'm freaking out. Can you give me just something creative to do to learn about the love of God? Could I call Kate and say, Kate, I don't have mics, I don't have tablets, I don't have um, sound systems, I don't have a piano, I don't have a guitar. Do you have any fun songs more than like, if I were a butterfly, I thank you, Lord, for giving me wings, which is fine. But maybe she would have some more encouragement, uh, some other songs we could sing as a community. And what if I called up Paul and said, our group really wants to reach out to community this winter. Can we schedule one outreach event? And Paul will say, sure, I'll help you. I'll, I'll help you line that up. Just, I'm asking, what if? What if? We are on mission because we are created and redeemed by a God who himself is on mission. So how can the church support authentic, close relationships? And I'm sort of repeating what Kendra said. How can, we, how can the church support authentic and close relationships? How can the church support being a part of bringing justice to the world around us? And how can the church support us in building relationships with those outside the church? And these are questions that I see E-Town Mennonite grappling with, and yes. I see us making progress over the last year or two. And now we're in this Kairos moment where the government's asked us to shut down, and, is, and, and, and Conrad is jumping on that and, and challenging us to, to wait on the Lord and to listen for what he's saying. So, listen, church, it's not all on Conrad's shoulders, and it's not or all the on ministry the ministry team. Yeah, I'm getting there. Oh, sorry. It's not all on the rest of the leadership. It's on all of us who are professing to be followers of Christ. 
What is God saying to the church, to us, and to you? And it's up to us to be listening and responding. Can we just, God, I, I really sense that your spirit has been working in our midst. It's been shuffling the, the foundations that we've been used to. And God, I pray that in, in even the mess or of what Jeff and I share today, that your Holy Spirit would bring to life whatever is of you. I pray for grace upon grace for Pastor Conrad and the ministry team and even the authorities all around us in every sphere of school and politics and the ecumenical world. I just pray for grace upon grace as you've given us this time to lean into what you're saying and grace upon grace to follow and to heed your call. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us. We thank you for that you are the God of the universe on a plan to redeem and save the world you've created. And God, let us be a part of it. Help us not to miss it. God, I'm so excited for what you have for us as a body of believers. I'm so excited because we're on mission with you and that's the exciting part. God, help us not to miss it. Thank you for your goodness. We praise you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus.